0: I just put a clip of audio. Someone saying something about the intro song. So I'll probably just use me saying, do you want to introduce the intro song as (laughs) the little bit of audio before the intro song?
1: Okay. That works for the intro song.
0: Uh, Nope. You're not going to get it. I'm in control.
1: Damn it. Welcome to Double Issue. Uh, This is the show where I, Daniel Poole, and my co-host...
0: I'm Quentin Pongratz. This
1: is the show where we write a short story, and then we tell each other these stories, and then we discuss them, and then we're just building a world together collaboratively.
0: Yep. I couldn't have said it any better.
1: This past week's prompt was Reflections. Yes. Yeah. That that is a truth.
0: So we both wrote a story loosely involving the word reflection.
1: Right. Some of us more loosely than others. Not naming any names.
0: I I will name your name. <laughs> I feel like you just put reflection in your story a couple times to justify it.
1: I am working on some deep narrative character reflections that I think it's really gonna it's really gonna shine through deeper into the story.
0: I guess we'll see about that. That's right. So I think we're probably going to cut out all of that conversation. Yeah.
1: No, that was a long conversation with a lot of likes in it.
0: But also, all of our other topics have been not great so far. But we'll see how I feel when I'm editing it. That sounds good. Maybe we just went from the introduction into this. Maybe i just cut out the introduction. Maybe we're (laughs) at the end of the show right now.
1: It's just six page turns. Intro music. And the end of the show.
0: Yep. Seems fine. Thank you, everyone. See you next week. Future Quentin here. End of the show already. That's a lot easier on the editing to not have so much to sift through. Oh. I guess they were just joking around. There's pretty much a whole episode left. Talk to you later, I guess. So, Daniel, you've got the first story this week. Do you want to get into that one? Yeah, let's
1: jump right in. Steely Reflection by Daniel J. Poole. Stern pair of eyes followed a dollop of toothpaste as it dripped from the corner of his reflection's mouth. It splashed in the sink with a dull, wet smack. The reflection's mouth opened as if to say something. Its hand grasped the toothbrush a little firmer. Their eyes fell as they closed, their mouth open again. Metal clashing on metal broke the silence. A bulbous red man with bright red skin tore a car in half with his bare hands beyond a patchwork metal fence. His gut peeked out from under a ratty undershirt. Stains ran down the front of his bathrobe. He smashed the car and yanked the engine out. He separated plastic from steel and other things he could part out. Hey, keep it down, Garth, the man yelled from his bathroom window. Come down here and make me Barney. The man yelled back from his side of the fence. Barney in the bathroom slammed his window against the sill. Garth in his scrapyard spiked his engine on the ground. Cursing for no particular reason, Barney got dressed. He removed his bathrobe and replaced it with a jumpsuit. He gave thought to brushing his hair, but eye in the balding spot just flipped his reflection off and headed downstairs. He banged his head against the lip of the ceiling just above the stairs. He cursed at it. There was a well-worn section of wood where his head hit. The smell of bacon filled the air at the base of the stairs. He turned and entered the kitchen. A young woman smiled and greeted him. She set out plates, utensils, and served runny eggs with bacon. She poured a cup of coffee. Morning, Tanya, Barney said walking in. Morning, Daddy. What's your plan for today? I'm going to try and watch TV, quietly. And, she asked sitting down, and stay out of trouble. She smiled and passed him a pile of mail. She started to say something, but he cut her off. I'm an adult. I'm fine. So you yelling at Uncle Garth because you enjoy it? Hey, don't call him Uncle, he said, rubbing his knuckles. Scar striped his hands. He threw down his fork. That's just how we communicate. A clock, shaped like a cat, talked with each wag of its tail. His eyes followed the lines of the table pattern. Blobs and squiggles weave themselves together. She placed a hand on his and squeezed. Please, Daddy, try to talk calmly to Garth. I'll think about it. And yelling don't count. They both laughed. Tanya laughed a little more than Barney. He picked up his fork. Tanya asked, Do you even remember why you two started fighting? He thought for a few talks of the cat's tail. It was probably your mother. We always fought over her. They glanced before they both broke away. He started reading through his mail. She put up her plate and filled a travel mug with the last of her coffee. Stirring in some sugar, she said, I'll be out late. I have my night class. Do you need anything while I'm out? He shook his head. Love you, Dad. Love you, too, spark plug. She rolled her eyes at the nickname. Taking her keys and mug, she heaved her bag over a shoulder and left the house. She waved to Garth. He sat on the hood of what had been a semi-trailer truck. His pink gut peeked out from under his shirt. Barney glanced over the morning paper. He took it and his coffee to the living room. A tattered recliner sat in front of a cracked television. He smacked the side, causing the screen to snap on and fell back into his chair. The footrest popped out as he hit the seat. On the screen, a woman in an orange jumpsuit sat with her legs crossed. She had short, dark, curly hair. Amy Dangerous and Janice Jones were laughing. Janice asked, That's amazing, and I heard you saved the day in Citadel City just last week. Well, I was in the neighborhood, Amy responded. So modest, but Amy, isn't Earth your neighborhood? The host asked, laughing. That's right, Jan, ever since the Great Wars. I make it my business to keep tabs on all the nations, even the Commonwealth, Amy said, pulling a curl back over her ear. The audience applauded. Miss Jones moved close to Amy and held one of her hands. I did mean to ask, would you feel like talking about your absence? Amy pulled her hand back from Jan's. Sitting back, she locked her ankles. No. An empty beer can hit the TV screen. Damn lousy aliens. Go home, you rotten good-for-nothings. Barney slapped the remote, and the screen snapped to a different channel. A news station covered the rebuilding efforts of the new Norville neighborhood. Giant monster blood painted some of the buildings. People in hazmat suits scrubbed the streets in the background. Serves those commonwealthers right. Barney laughed at his own comment before changing the channel again. Footage from a security tape showed a group of robots breaking into a bank. They walked through teller lines and threw guards aside with ease. Barney chuckled. Those look like some bad movie. I could build something better than that. A group of teen heroes appeared on the scene. He grumbled as they tore apart the robots with ease. Then he sat frozen. The trio became powerless against the mechanical monsters. His unlit cigarette dropped as a young Centauri broke her hand against the machine's plating. Holy smokes! He sat forward with a jump. He watched more of the footage. He frantically shuffled through papers piled on a TV tray next to him. Pulling one coffee-stained page, he rushed to his landline. He dialed a number from a list by the phone. Hello, Citadel Police, Central Station, a voice said dryly on the other end. This is Officer Gomez. Hey, Frankie, it's Barney. Barney Steele? Barney! What the hell? I thought you died. No, just semi-retired. How's Hilly? Barney swallowed. Sort of dead. Oh, shoot. Sorry, buddy. That's fine. It was a while back. Hey, wanted to ask. Do you goons have a wrecker lined up for those robots? Steele rubbed his bottom lip with his index. Man, I tell you, between the kaiju cleanup and all the refugees, we really haven't thought about it. That junk has just taken up space, Frank replied. Well, I'm still licensed to salvage superweapons, and I'll undercut anyone that bids on them, Barney said, rolling on the balls of his feet. What makes you interested, old man? Old? I'm not that old. Gonzalez laughed at that. Uh, Just professional intrigue. He didn't reply right away. A few muffled voices talked in the background. Finally, Gonzalez came back on the line. If I say yes, will I regret it? Two flatbeds with shrink-wrapped wreckage pulled into Barney's half of the lot the next day. Police tape and hazard stickers littered the sides of the delivery. Steele grinned and ran his hands over the shipment. Officer Gomez hopped out of the cab. What's the big deal with the fence? The officer gestured to the sheet metal wall between Barney's and Garf's yards. Barney waved the question off. We had a split. He stays on his side, I stay on mine. Garth peeked over the wall. His wispy white hair blew in the wind. He yelled, You actually took a job? I thought the only thing you were wrecking these days were your tatawattis. Screw off, alien. Barney waved his middle finger toward the wall. Frank held his arms up. Hey, listen, you two. Let me unload. I'll be out of your hair. hair. Oh, don't forget, Barney. Send us back the super tech. The semi-trucks pulled away. Garth pressed his face against the fence to peek through a rusted hole. He goaded Barney. Whatcha gonna do with all that junk? Barney just loaded the wreckage onto his forklift, chunk at a time. There's no way you can scrap all that, old man. Barney kept loading the wreckage on- into his workshop. Later that night, Tanya sat in the kitchen. A chewed pencil hung from her lip. Papers were scattered in loose stacks round her. Barney opened the back door and hopped over the last step. He whistled and swung open the refrigerator door. She looked up from her work. Are you feeling okay, Daddy? He opened a beer. I feel fine, spark plug. Why are you whistling? She pointed her pencil at him. He held up his hands. Honest, I just feel good. I don't believe you, geezer. Did you talk to Uncle Garth? He sat his beer down. I asked you not to call him uncle, and no. Well, nothing important. I took a job, and he was making fun of me. Slow down, Hot Rod. A job? Yeah, what of it. I wanted to do something with my hands. Frank at the station had a big job. The woman started straightening her papers. She removed her glasses. Tanya gave him a hard side-eye. What are you up to? Barney held one hand up and the other with the beer over his heart put on a solemn expression. I'm not up to anything. Swear. A few weeks later, Tanya packed her bag. Barney was watching TV. She leaned over and gave his bald spot a kiss. I'll be out late again. If you need anything, text me. Okay, spark plug. He waited. A commercial babbled about cavities. Her car started. Some burly woman in a unitard and mask smiled while holding the advertised toothpaste. As Tanya's car pulled away out of the driveway, Barney sat up. He jogged to his workshop. Inside, mechanical parts were stacked from floor to ceiling. Pieces of old doomsday devices were displayed as trophies. The atomic drill, one of Cerebrus' heads, and Shadow Doom's Starlance, just husk of their former glory, rust dulled their surfaces. A thick dust blanketed everything, except for a single workbench. Stacks of robot parts were neatly arranged next to the table. A heavy tarp concealed a bulky form. Garth took a swig from a beer. A news anchor reported a story involving a lumberjack and a blue man robbing a bank. He chuckled. I get that reference. His doorbell rang. He grumbled. Getting up from his chair, he made his way down the hall to the front door. Framed newspaper clippings, photos and magazine covers lined the walls. One featured a tall, muscular, bright red man shaking hands with a mare in a cowboy hat. Another showed the red-suited man punching Martians. The tagline on another read, Guardian Garth and Hildy the Hunter, Supers of the Year, 1981. Duo tells all. The doorbell rang impatiently. Hold your horses, you no-good rotten bastards. What the hell are you selling, you piece of... He was cut off by a metal fist punching him in the gut through the door. Garth and his front door blew backwards down the hall. A pile of pizza boxes toppled over him. Hey, old man, what do you think of my junk now? Barney said. He towered over the doorway. He grinned from behind a steel cage. He wore an amalgamation of the robot wreckage as a battle suit. The sets of cylindrical arms were intertwined to form a single pair of muscular arms. His legs were stocky construction equipment. A pair of claws clacked and spun while motioning suggestively at his robotic pelvis. Gar stood up. What's wrong with you? The bulbous man lurched towards the door. The force threw both men into the dirt. Barney's suit launched into a backward handspring. Its crude claws plowed the loose gravel with the force of the leap. The man's eyes narrowed at the red alien. Nothing is wrong with me. You're the one that's always second-guessed me. What? are you talking about? Garf stood. You always left me behind because I was human. Machinery world in the exosuit. Well, now we're equals. Barney jumped at the man. Metal claws grasped at his flabby neck. Me? You were the one that always complained about money. You were the one that never cleaned up your messes. The alien peeled the claw from his neck. Pneumatic fluid spat from the machine's wrist. He threw a right hook, knocking Barney and his suit to the ground. Barney said, You were always jealous of Hilly and me. Garth stood. Yeah, I was. You two were happy. I wanted to be that happy. Well, uh, I want it now, too. Barney gritted his teeth, trying to move his suit. Garth walked to him, held out a hand. He said, I wanted to be loved like you were, but I didn't love Hilly like you did. She was like a sister to me. Barney started to take the hand. His metal claw wavered in the air. He turned a dial and reeled back his arm. A steel wrist caught Garth square in the gut. He sailed through the air. A stack of junked cars broke his fall. Liar! Barney screamed. I know how you felt. I found her letters to you. I know! Garth tossed a car at Barney. The suit deflected the car. Right behind it was a red fist. It caved the protective shell of the cockpit, pressing Barney's face between the bars. His robotic legs dug into the dirt. You moron! You didn't know nothing if you think those letters matter now. How many years was that? How many kids ago? You think some letters from Academy matter now? Barney tried to wipe a tear. His metal cloth scraped the cage. I miss her, he blurted out. A pair of stern, pale eyes followed a tear as it dripped from the corner of the steel cage. It splashed in the dirt with a dull, wet smack. Barney and Garth opened their mouths to say something, but both stopped. Their hands grasped each other a little firmer. Their eyes met as they closed their mouths again. Garth said, We all do. In the suit, Barney could look his neighbor straight in the eye. The men embraced. Oh, hell no! A voice yelled from the front gate. Tanya stomped toward the two. I know that isn't police property you are wearing. Are you idiots fighting? What is wrong with you? Garth patted Barney on the back. It's like she never left the end, for now.
0: Alright, Daniel. Let's discuss your story. Let's do that. Let's do that thing. I explicitly said no Citadel stories, and what do we have here?
1: This story is in no way, shape, or form in the Citadel. It just happens to have elements from other stories that did happen to ha- take place in the Citadel. This story is basically in the Citadel. This story put its big its big toe just in the just in the waiting pool of the Citadel.
0: Continued storylines from the Citadel.
1: <laughs> it's technically outside the city limits.
0: I'm disappointed in you. That's that's
1: acceptable. <laughs> but I did like that we passed off Amy Dangerous between our stories. Between the first, second, and now the third week.
0: Oh uh, yeah, you you mentioned actually what I mentioned in mine.
1: It's one of those things where it's I want to give like some background to that. And I just really want to dive into that, because now it's like a mystery that's just hanging out there. But I don't want to go after it too quick.
0: Yeah, there is a story I really want to do that takes place in her absence, and is basically the whole reason I put in the absence. (laughs) But I don't want the first story about kind of our Superman-esque type person, it seems, to be the story I have in mind. (laughs) (laughs) I feel we need some other Amy Dangerous stories that are... Just her doing whatever before we yeah. explore that absence.
1: Amy Dangerous was a character that I had some ideas for a long time ago. I had kind of written out uh, some like skeletal novels. I never quite got all the way to writing them out. So I had some plot lines written out. And I had some basic ideas for some stories. But I never finished writing them out and then i made her my dc online character and <laughs> played around with her a lot in there
0: nice.
1: so she is still a character that i have a lot of ideas for but it's nothing solid but i had some ideas for like when she was like way younger so now i'm trying to think of stories for her now but trying to leave her still open enough that we can both play around with that space for her as a character
0: yeah I think just for the story I have in mind, I just don't want it to be the first.
1: Yeah. And that's one of those things where I kind of like her being a ancillary character that we just mentioned. So it's been kind of a fun thing now. Yeah. If I come up with something really good, though, it would still be good to drop her in. Yeah. And same if you have more I- a good idea for a whole Amy story. I wouldn't say not use her.
0: So, do you want to tell everyone what the name of Garth was originally?
1: Garth? Originally, I wanted kind of a angry name, kind of a typical Middle American name. Just a name so,
0: that just kind of vomits off your mouth. Yeah,
1: just really comes out at you kind of aggressively. So I thought Ralph would be a really great name for a person that wrecks things. Yeah. And I did not think about that whatsoever the first time reading through my story.
0: Ralph the Wreckman.
1: <laughs> Uncle Ralph the Wrecking Person. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't great.
0: <laughs> so do you know what kind of alien Garth is?
1: I was couldn't quite decide. I didn't want to make him just another Centauri. Yeah. So I think he's more of just a strong uh, alien. But I didn't have an exact idea of what I wanted him to be. So that's maybe a space I'll want to explore more at some point. Yeah. Because I like the idea of having aliens that are strong enough to do stuff like be a wrecker.
0: Is he also just very large, like Ralph?
1: Yeah, I was imagining...
0: That is how I immediately pictured him when I read him first.
1: Because <laughs> I imagined him being just like super muscly. Maybe something like the orcs from world of warcraft are just like dumb big but in garf's case he is also just out of shape even though he is very strong for being on earth i thought the idea of a thrift store iron man was really cool and so i wanted to build up a character who was sort of a junkyard superhero or at least a junkyard super powered person yeah and so i like that concept and then just a story hadn't clicked yet for me so this is the first time that I was like, yeah, that concept, that could work in this story concept.
0: You did mention the Great Wars. Was that just a name drop for something you can use in the future, or do you have something around that?
1: I wanted to leave it somewhat ambiguous, because I liked the idea of having Great Wars, like uh, Captain America Civil War kind of event, maybe. Mm, yeah. But then... I also had the idea of just making that the World War 1 and 2 hmm. for the world. Oh yeah. So, I partially left that ambiguous just so we could play with it if we wanted to make something on that concept.
0: And the Commonwealth you mentioned, is that just the place of the Citadel? Yeah. Like it's proper name or
1: The Commonwealth is the name of the area that the that the Citadel is, and then the Citadel is just like the name of the town or I imagined it like a city-state. Do you want to do your story now?
0: I guess I have to. That's
1: how this works.
0: Spell Squadron, issue 23, Reflections. John Morris called it disco balling. Everyone else wouldn't call it anything, because from their point of view, nothing happened. One moment, the members of Spell Squadron sat tied to a tractor in the basement of a cult leader's farm. The next moment, nothing in the scene had changed. Except everything had changed. Because between the two moments, John Morris blinked. In that amount of time, he disco-balled. The world went dark, and John appeared in a void. The space had no visible light sources, but he could see. The sort of thing that could only happen in a magic pocket dimension. Points of light glinted in the distance all around him. These were the mirrors. John could never tell if these mirrors started out far away and flew towards him, or if they started out microscopic and grew Space was hard to judge here. Spinning and turning, they reflected the light that shouldn't exist around until images of himself were all he could see. The mirrors gave him countless windows into this other world, but despite the many windows, it was only the one other world with the one other John. The John who was right-handed instead of left-handed. The John who was missing the pinky toe on his left foot instead of his right. They first met when they were twelve. They put their hands on the full-length mirrors in their bedroom fell into it, or did it pull them in? The void appeared, then the mirrors, just like now. What is this place? The question echoed, except it wasn't an echo. His mirror image was speaking slightly off sync from him. Are you? His question trailed off because his mirror image wasn't asking the question with him. Are you me? The John in the mirror asked. I'm John. The boy in the mirror nodded. Me too? How do you spell it? Is it with an H? John leaned toward the barrier between them and exhaled, turning the mirror into a writing surface. He started on the right and wrote to the left. He wrote the same three letters John would have, but backwards. Nodge? No, it's John. Not to me. How do you spell yours, then? John mirrored the actions performed just a bit ago by the other boy. John. That looks like Nodge to me. The kids argued for most of their first visit over what to call each other. The present-day John in the mirror shook his head. Quite a pickle we're in, Lefty. Both John sighed. What do we know about this guy? He's supposed to be dead. Yeah, I don't see how he could have survived our previous encounter. John had encountered the man that had them imprisoned once five years ago at the end of the previous iteration of Spell Squadron. Werewolf, the ultimate tracker, found the man. They hadn't learned his name but he was the leader of the Order of Hecate, an occult operation working on a spell to destroy the world because of the one they worshipped needed a snack. Apparently, Hecate needed the globe to be broken down before consuming it. The leader used the analogy of an orange needing to be peeled and divided into pieces before being enjoyed. Spell Squadron managed to stop them, but not without major losses. Spectre didn't die, as he was already a ghost, but his anchor to the physical world, a dog at the time, didn't make it. Lady Luck survived, but her husband, Captain Havoc, wasn't so lucky. Miss Mist is presumed dead, but her body or any traces of it were never found. With most of the team dead or gone, Lady and John went their separate ways until recently when she started the team up again. You would expect him to at least be disfigured or something with how the last time ended. We should have helped more with the cleanup. We were in no state to help any more than we did. But we should have known Aegis wouldn't get it right. Their mystical guy... What was his name? I think it was just magic. So dumb. He didn't know the first thing about magic. The left-handed John sighed. What are we going to do about this, though? Both Johns turned 180 degrees. One of the many mirrors now showed the scene of the basement. The image showed the outside world in real time, but since disco balling existed in an infinitesimally small fraction of a second, it was essentially a still picture. No mirrors. He's certainly in the know about how we all get our powers. He broke Lady's wands. He had discarded the remains of the wands to the side of the room. The debris looked like a small bit of kindling someone had tried to start a fire on and failed. The broken ends of the sticks burnt from the release of the magic they contained. He tore Spellbinder's arcane lens out of their body. The robot on their team didn't need to be tied up to the tractor with everyone else. The crude removal of the arcane lens took with it enough essential parts that Spellbinder was left a twitchy mess. John hoped it wasn't anything beyond fixing once they got out of this. If they got out of this. He's got some sort of spirit clamp on Talon's leg. You mean Talon. Talon's Talon. Right-handed, John sighed. Talon wasn't tied up. John assumed it was too hard to properly tie up a bird. Their captors shoved Talon in a cage, and the clamp on her leg seemed to be keeping Spectre inside, as he hadn't made contact since. That leaves Klepsomia's top hat. The cult leader had taken Klepsomia's top hat and tried to destroy it by ripping it apart, and when that failed, he had tried stomping on it. He had done enough research beforehand to know that a main component in her powers was her top hat, but not enough to know about its resiliency. Clep frequently popped inside her top hat to avoid danger, with her hat surviving anything thrown at it. Whether he thought he was different than the bombs and spells the hat had previously endured, or just didn't take note of it, John didn't know. After failing to destroy it, he placed the hat on top of the metal cabinet next to the door before leaving. Perhaps he left to get something more likely to destroy the hat, or perhaps he was about to start the next phase of his plan. But John knew this was their chance to do something and the hat was their best chance at doing something worthwhile. It's got to be the hat, they said simultaneously. They weren't bound to synchronicity in the disco ball, but living most of their lives synced up outside of the void meant they sometimes did the same things inside as well. How are we going to get it to Mia? He didn't leave anything even slightly reflective in here. Yeah, the tractor is too rusted to be of any use. Remember, John said in a deeper voice than his own, there are reflections everywhere. They laughed. As we get older and older, I think more and more that he was as lost in the world of reflection magics as we are. Did our baddie have a belt buckle or anything? The John in the mirrors closed his eyes in remembrance. Not that I can recall. Wait, I think I got it. John looked over to lady and was ready to get her attention, but her attention was already on him. What do you have? How do you always know when I've disco ball? She sighed. It was cute to call it that when you were a kid. Not so much anymore. Whatever. What do you have? A long shot. Can you give me some good luck? Lady Luck frowned. Without my foci, it'll apply to everyone around here. I know, but it's the best shot we've got. I'm just disclaiming. Say when. John shuffled his body so he could turn to the teen girl beside him. Kleps, can you cry for me? What? She tried to give him a skeptical look, But in the current circumstances, her face contorted to something closer to awkward discomfort. I need you to look at your hat and tear up if you can. Her face showed she still wanted to ask questions, but she nodded. I'll try. She took her eyes from him and focused on the other side of the room. Her eyes started to water a bit. Now, don't look away from your hat and don't close your eyes. Okay. Alright lady, let's go. John inhaled as much air as his lungs could fit. He pursed his lips and then aimed at Klepsomia's eyes and blew out a burst of breath. Eyes weren't the most reflective surface. The tears boosted it a bit, but he would need some luck in order to get a wind spell to affect the hat. Luckily, they had Lady on their side. Klepsomia strained not to blink, her face twitching in an effort to keep the eyelids from their involuntary response. John could see in the reflection of her eyes the hat start to wobble. Blink, he said before reloading his lungs. She blinked and then went back to staring at the hat. He blew into her eyes again and then he heard the hat fall to the floor on the other side of the room. Everyone watched as the hat fell down the front of the metal cabinet. The hat hit the handles which translated some of its vertical velocity to horizontal and landed on ladies' broken lawns. The slight hill of the broken sticks caused the hat to roll towards Klepsomia. She contorted her body away from the tractor to try to get a foot on the hat, but she couldn't quite reach it. Then the door opened, and the man appeared. John was filled with dread that their plan was over, until he saw the effects of the entrance. The force of the door being opened pushed the hat just into Klepsemia's reach. She dipped a toe in the opening of the hat, and that was all the hat needed to start its swallow. It rose up her body, contorting to deliver her to wherever it was her powers took her. John imagined it was similar to his void, but he had never visited. Only her hands, still tied to the tractor, were outside of the hat. The man stared in horror at the mistake he had made. Klepsemia's hands started to glow, then the ropes holding her in place had no chance against her. Her hands disappeared under the hat, and the hat flopped down with its opening toward the ground. Then the hat sprung into the air, reversing the process that had just happened. There she stood, hatted, caped, and free from bonds. In an instant, she was at the man and had him pinned up against the wall. With her unoccupied hand, she grabbed her hat and tossed it at the birdcage. Sorry, Talon, she cried out as the hat collided with the cage and sent it crashing to the ground. The cage popped open with the impact and Talon flew from it. She flew to John's hands and then Lady's, a quick snip of the beak setting each of them free. John freed Talon from the spirit clamp and Spectre's ghostly form flew out of her, his arm in position like a falconer ready for her to perch. She did. John turned to Lady while rubbing his wrists. Looks like we turned this one around. She stood. Lucky break. Lady winked and then rushed over to help Klepsomia. The end. For now.
1: So, we finally have our supergroup name.
0: Yeah. I had to consult you on this because... (laughs) I didn't feel comfortable just naming our Justice League or Avengers.
1: So I thought that was really funny when you were texting me because I was, I think I sent back a whole lot of responses of possibilities, and
0: yeah. then at some
1: point I was just reading or checking over your story, and I saw that you had used that one. I was like, oh, I guess I can stop texting him more.
0: <laughs> yeah, I asked Daniel for a good one, and we had a few, and I had some ideas, but I didn't text him my ideas at one point because he came up with one i kind of like uh aegis which is what i use and then every name after aegis was terrible in my opinion
1: (laughs) i think scutum has some real market power i think we can get that on shirts
0: what was another one advocates yeah that was terrible
1: i have an idea for for, something, for people called The Advocates, though. I, I think mean, I got some go ideas for, for it,
0: but I don't think that's the, the largest, biggest, most powerful <laughs> group in this universe.
1: Yeah. Well, then there are some names like Sentinels is a card game. Ultras is another superhero thing.
0: I didn't text it to you, but I did think of just Guardians. Yeah. I felt it might be too close to Guardians of the Galaxy, but I did kind of like just the Guardians.
1: I was thinking Guardians, but it was so close to Destiny.
0: But I do like Aegis since it's a shield. So it's got some of the the qualities of different names like Protectors and Ooh. Guardians. And
1: We should make the bad guys like the Greek word for sword. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask, two Captain Havocs? Or is yeah. this the same Captain Havoc?
0: No, this is old Captain Havoc, aka Captain Havoc Senior. I I retroactively changed a character in your story to a son of a character in my story.
1: (laughs) As I was reading through, I was just, yes!
0: (laughs) The original idea I had was this guy that casts magic through mirrors. And from there, I knew I wanted a team of magic users. Kind of uh, Justice League Dark-esque. And so, I had to come up with these different characters. And Josh actually helped me some on some of them. But... I love these characters so much that I was very disappointed that these are short stories. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't even go into everything these characters can do. But in order to pad out the team, I needed general magic person. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And each person on the team had a gimmick, and I wanted a gimmick for my general magic person. And it was just all make it the dad of the magic person in Daniel's story. Yeah but I actually made it the mom and killed the dad in a previous story arc.
1: I love Lady Luck's
0: powers. I did ask you what Havoc's powers were, and the text message was just uh, Daniel took a picture of himself that was a non-committal shrug. I don't know, Luck?
1: (laughs) Pretty much. I had thought briefly about
0: Luck Control,
1: and I was kind of wavering back and forth on that.
0: Well, now I've decided it for you.
1: And now you decide it for me. And I really like that. Because after I texted that to you, I started thinking more about it. And I was sitting here, man, that would be really cool if he did that and this. So I got more ideas for him later.
0: I imagined that their wands focuses their power. Yeah. But they've got some sort of general luck. I did want to bring up, it is the 23rd issue of the Spell Squad. I just did that to establish a backs Like this team has been around for a while. This isn't the team's first adventure
1: think will fill those out some
0: yeah i don't know i just know this is also not only is this not the first issue of this spell squadron of this spell squadron series it's not the first spell squadron series right this is at least volume two <laughs> because they disbanded the team after
1: the incident so tell me about some of these characters powers
0: okay so we've already went over lady luck
1: I did have the thought last night when I was thinking about your story, and I was thinking Lady Havoc.
0: Mm, Yeah, that seems nice. I wonder if there's a story somewhere in there about Captain Havoc feeling weird to have the same name. Oh yeah,
1: I think we could work something like that.
0: Yeah, Maybe it changes it for a bit at some point, because that seems like a lot of pressure.
1: I want to know more about Spellbinder.
0: Spellbinder. It directly came out of our robot conversation. He has a magical artifact that allows him to use magic, or at least more easily use magic. And I think he codes stuff in himself in order to do these spells. He just researches spells and, you know, ancient tomes and text, how you do normal spells. As you do. And he figures out how to translate it from spoken and material components into electrical and programming component and i imagine he has some sort of limitation he can't just do any magic he's got to prepare prepare it code wise make sure he's got all of the necessary components in his robot frame and all that that's really cool talon inspector is through the story you could tell he's a ghost bound to this bird is
1: it a regular size bird
0: yes i think a hawk or something okay i don't know specter's limitations but I believe he is bound to the animal companion he has at the time in some ways. I did mention that he previously had a dog that he was bound to, and that dog died in the incident. Yeah. And so Spectre was not able to die, but Spectre was not a part of the team while he was looking to bond with another animal or whatever he does. And then we have, and I guess this is my first time saying because we haven't recorded the stories yet, Clipsamia? Clipsamia? I looked online for a pronunciation of this and cannot find
1: it. So wait, is that a word you made up? No. Or is it actually one you found?
0: It's one I found. Oh. It's a it's a different unused now, I guess, name for hourglass. Huh. I felt like we needed a character that was reminiscent of like Captain Marvel the Shazam Billy Batson where the kid isn't a super, but has the ability to turn into a superhero.
1: Right.
0: But I wanted to do it a little differently. And so she got her powers and they're from turning this hourglass or multiple hourglasses. They'd have different powers over in this like mind space. She has her hat is a portal to this mind space. And she flips over an hourglass, and the sand runs down and disappears as it runs down. And it's giving her that power, as long as it has sand left to count down. That's cool. So there's different ones for super strength or super speed, or I don't know what all the different ones would be. But she has to turn an hourglass for each different one she wants to use. Cool. And then she can refill the hourglasses. I imagine there's sort of a, a sand vending machine in her mind space.
1: So in that case, is she kind of Green, Green Lantern-like?
0: Green uh, Lantern I guess in the way that she has to kind of recharge.
1: Or rather, Green Lantern comparable.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I also just really love this when she wants kind of at-lil, she, her hat just falls down over her, and then it's just the hat there, and then she pops back out super-powered. And it's just like a magician's top hat. So I guess since our topic this week was reflections, our deep dive will be about reflections. So let's start off with how do mirrors work?
1: Yeah, like, is there just is there a second person inside the mirror? Is that what I see? Yeah. Okay. Interesting.
0: There's two people.
1: Our next prompt will be Cliffhanger.
0: We are going to each do a story that ends with a cliffhanger. And then the next episode after that, we will swap stories and resolve the cliffhangers.
1: Do we need to be nice with the cliffhangers?
0: No, I think just have a story that ends without an ending.
1: Okay, that'll be fun. I can think of some good good cliffhangers. Uh, To make up for my reflections being only slightly reflective, should I start this one on a literal cliff?
0: I mean, do what you need to do.
1: That'll be my penance.
0: <laughs> and not a Citadel story. <laughs> not, there can be no characters <sighs> from the Citadel. What? What does what, <laughs> what it mean? Oh, a uh, beach episode. Bison and Wisp. Go to the beach.
1: Bison it's and Wisp. the
0: citadel.
1: Car ride. <laughs> car trip story.
0: Road trip. <laughs>
1: Captain okay. Havoc's here, too?
0: What? <laughs> you want to say your all of your social media stuff? Yeah.
1: You can find me as at Gawair, G-Y-W-A-I-R, on Twitter and
0: Tumblr
1: and YouTube. And you can also find me on calculatingnormals.wordpress.com.
0: I'll hand it off to future Quentin because we still don't have a website or twitter handle and i don't know what songs i'm editing in here yeah but this should be the last episode we do without any audience feedback so hopefully by the time we get episode one up we'll have some emails to read in the next episode episode four yeah and i guess until next time we could just the end for now future Quentin back again If this isn't the end of the episode they recorded, then it's at least the limits of what I'll edit together. Let me tell you about those songs. Free Harmonics by the Free Harmonic Orchestra. Dragon Country, Apple and Clove, Instrumental Version by Tree, Bunky Junkie by Jason Shaw. Good to Go, Instrumental by Josh Woodward. Magic Hour by Three Chain Links. And Good Ideas Poorly Executed by Steve Combs. All songs are edited down as needed for the podcast and used under their Creative Commons licenses. Links to the songs are in the show notes. The art is still done by Lisa Prather. She makes a new album cover every week, but it always looks identical to the previous one. You can find more of her stuff at lisapratherart.com or follow her on Instagram at lisapratherart. Website, Twitter, Facebook, maybe we have an Instagram too at this point. I don't know what Daniel does. All of those things, you can find some links I'll put in the show notes, or just Double ishy Show is the username for most of it. You can do an email at doubleissueshow at gmail.com, and you really should send some emails, so you don't disappoint the Quentin in the show that said the next episode he'd have some emails to read. Speaking of the next episode, it's actually going to shake up the format a bit. That's all I'm going to say about it for now, but if you're paying close enough attention to the whole episode, there are actually clues sprinkled throughout. Happy hunting! Say your thing, Daniel.
1: I thought I had something really clever, but it wasn't coming to me.